listening to Guys on the Sideline podcast, where you'll hear opinions, predictions, and sports takes in every direction. If you're a diehard sports fan, this is the place to be. They've never played. They have no experience. But they have plenty to say. And now, here are the guys on the sideline. Hey, everybody, welcome on in to Guys on the Sideline, the podcast. This is episode 73, and we're talking the NBA draft the day after. We got lots of hot takes and reactions coming your way on episode 73. This is Jeff Kyler Murray Burton, and I'm joined today in the virtual booth by Tyler, you know, Miles and Chris Book Mode Mumford. What's up, fellas? What up, Jeff? Jeff, it's great to hear your beautiful voice again. I'm sure that's exactly what you've been saying over the last week, isn't it, Tyler? Well, that's what you've been paying me for for the week. Uh-huh. So we got to get into the NBA. Big draft yesterday. And so we're going to talk about that, but we got we might have to squeeze in a little bit of football because while, you know, we're big NBA fans, I mean, NBA draft or a Thursday night football game with the Arizona Cardinals and Seattle Seahawks, which is bigger news today, would you say? Well, it, you know, I'll step in and, and I think Tyler will have plenty to say on it, but it, it sounds like the draft was kind of, you know, clunker might be strong, but but sounds like it was, there was some sort of dubious prospects kind of littered throughout the draft. A lot of questions around everyone, no surefire thing. So I'd almost be leaning toward the NFL game, if I'm being honest. Yeah, no, yeah. I definitely agree. I don't think this was the strongest draft class that we've seen in the past couple of years. And I think it's going to reflect that, especially when you consider the fact that all these uh, rookies aren't going to be going through a summer league and they're literally starting the season in in about a month, you know, so they're really going to learn trial by fire this upcoming season. So it's going to take them a long while before they show any sort of rhythm in the NBA. Yeah, it's going to be a weird uh, year as it already has been, and we're just going to keep things rolling. So gentlemen, if you're ready, let's get started. Let's hop into it. The opinions and predictions on this podcast are right 98.3% of the time. All right, so episode 73, again, big NBA draft last night, and probably bigger news than the draft was the Clay Thompson injury. I know you guys were talking about this earlier today, but what do you guys make of Clay Thompson? P- pretty big deal, right? Yeah, it's actually, it's, it sucks because I do like Clay Thompson a lot. I have a lot of respect for that man. And I had a feeling it was going to be something bad. But what really sucks is he hasn't played in over 500 days in an NBA game. And now adding this Achilles injury, you're adding a whole nother year on that. So we're looking at two full-on seasons without Clay Thompson playing. So it's really going to be a different Clay Thompson when we finally get to see him again, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I, I just second Tyler's thoughts on that. It's Clay is one of my favorite, um, I, I think easily the, my favorite standout player from that legendary team. Um, I think he's just so easy to root for. I feel like he's a pretty quiet guy, just plays his game. One of the best pure shooters of all time. Um, so yeah, bummer to hear it. Um, I think it unfortunately, uh, you know, cause you, you hate for this to happen in this way, but I think that that really starts to, you know, make the wheels wobble on this Warriors uh, team. I think that, you know, we were all going into the season really looking carefully at them to see, Hey, could they, could they pick back up? You know, it, I think we all assumed there'd be sort of a reacclimation period. But now with Clay going down again and being such an integral part of that team, not not to say that they can't be competitive and good with Steph back on the court, Draymond and others, but 
they're just not going to be what they were. And I think that they just kind of fall now into the middle of the mix in the West. And that's that. Yeah, it is unfortunate. Uh, Clay Thompson's a good guy, great shooter, fun to watch. And it it really is sad. Tyler, to your point, 500 days since playing hoops. That is going to be very interesting to see where that goes. Did you guys ever catch when he dropped 38 points in a quarter? Did you ever see the highlights of that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And he only dribbled the ball like a grand total of like 10 times for that entire game. Okay, for our listeners, if you haven't seen this, just type it into YouTube. Clay Thompson, like, was it 38 or 36 points? I can't remember how many. I think Uh, it was 37. 37. So Clay Thompson, 37 points in a quarter. And seriously, just watch. It's probably like a two-minute montage. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Like, I don't think I've seen anything like it in the NBA. You know, Clay's just got one of those those shooting motions and strokes that just makes you want to teleport yourself onto the court and shoot him. It just he has this sweet motion that when he gets into a groove, it's like you can feel it yourself. <laughs> and like that, that's you know, one of the joys of watching the guy. So for sure, if you haven't seen that amazing, you know, 37 point outburst, go check it out and you know, send your your positive thoughts to Clay. I hope he comes back from this and is able to resume at least some of his capacity because he's he's a great player to watch. So, guys, we could break down the draft, and that would be kind of fun, but as you're saying, it's kind of an off year. Would you rather talk about the draft, or should we just speculate on how the Jazz are going to get Russell Westbrook in a Jazz jersey for next season? Let's go! Which would you rather talk about today? Hey, I'll, I'll dive in on either one, really. I, th- I think we can just kind of toss a lot of the draft to the side. I mean, we, we can maybe talk a bit about Wiseman. I think t- Tyler and I had some interesting thoughts on him coming into the league and, and some of the other top picks, but... You know, we can talk about the Jazz's pick, which uh, I think Tyler's going to have to reteach us the pronunciation because I've already kind of forgotten it. But Westbrook to the Jazz, Jeff, I've just got to say quickly, I mean, when when the only notable connection to the franchise that a player has is that he's been vocal in calling out the city and its fan base for being racist. Um, got to say that hurts the chances in my mind quite a bit. And, you know, I think that the reason there's such vitriol toward Westbrook, of course, not excusing anything that might be racial that's come out toward him. But I think there's Westbrook's attitude and style of play are just perfectly pitched to me to enrage Utah fans. Like he is the antithesis of what I think most people see jazz basketball as being all about. So that's, if that's not enough, that's basically where I'm at on it. All right, I'm just kidding. Westbrook's not coming to the Jazz. Let's talk NBA draft. Let's do a little lightning round, kind of go through some winners and losers, key takeaways, make some predictions. So if it's okay, gentlemen, I'm just going to start at the top, and we'll go through a couple of these. Give me your just instant takes. So Minnesota Timberwolves yet again have a number one pick. They continually have a number one pick, which means they're terrible. So uh, any surprises with Anthony Edwards out of Georgia? So I'm not surprised by it. I mean, it was very uh, likely to go number one overall. I was actually more surprised that Minnesota actually kept the number one picks. I know they were talking about trying to trade that away for somebody else to compliment Carl uh, Anthony Towns and um, D'Angelo Russell right away. The thing I'm more interested about with Edwards, and like I said, like don't 
ex- like don't expect anything spectacular. Like he's not going to be the next Zion Williams or something coming out of the draft. But I don't think his IQ is there. I was telling Chris, I think his ceiling is very low, and he very well might have hit his ceiling already. If you interview with him, he's not the best interviewer, but he'll also talk about how he doesn't necessarily enjoy basketball. It, he, when it comes to having to watch game film, he doesn't enjoy it. He doesn't spend his free time watching other basketball games. And having that mindset is really going to limit your abilities in the NBA for sure. All right, let's uh, let's go to number two then, the Golden State Warriors. James Wiseman, don't confuse him with Jameis Winston. Golden State, we were talking about Clay earlier, but they get a number two, a lottery pick. Wiseman is an interesting product in that I don't think many of us have seen him play. Obviously sat out with Memphis, had some issues there. Thoughts on the Wiseman pick in Memphis? Would you rather go Wiseman or would you drop and maybe even pick Ball up there? That's exactly what I was telling Chris, actually, is um, right after Clay Thompson got injured, whether you thought it was going to be season ending or not, I think taking LaMelo Ball was a low risk, uh, high reward uh, option. And I think they should have taken LaMelo Ball because then he could have immediately been a starter. And I mean, he's technically got professional basketball under his belt already so i think that would have been more beneficial to them than james wiseman i think james wiseman will be um what's this bucket uh wiggins 2.0 for him almost i think it's something similar to jeff is just in terms of not totally sold on wiseman obviously a lot of murky background with the whole situation in memphis and how it all went down with coach hardaway and you, you hope that the kid sort of has his chance to stand out from apart from all of that um, but, you know, I mean, when, anytime you take a player that you just don't have a ton of film on that you can't necessarily make a ton of heads and tails of and you're kind of drafting on physical attributes, boy, it's it, it does. I don't know how many cases maybe you could tell me, Tyler, you're much better informed on this. You know, how many instances can you count off the top of your mind where that type of draft has worked, where it's pure upside physical attributes and it really worked out? Yeah, it's a great question. I have no idea, actually. Because, I mean, I, you, you would think you'd have some famous examples, but you don't come up with many. And, and as I'm trying to rack my brain, thinking back to, like, the biggest star stars out there, they all had film. They all had – now, obviously, LeBron came from high school, but, you know, we're, we're, we're talking just about a different level there. Kobe as well. And, and maybe Wiseman's adds up to that, but if that were the case, why didn't he go straight to the NBA? There, there must have been some reason for him to at least – you know, make a feint at going the collegiate route with Memphis. So just question marks there. Um, you don't necessarily know what you've got. We'll see now um, what the Warriors do with this kid. But, it, you know, it's I, I wouldn't rate it as highly likely that he's necessarily going to be a huge star right out of the gate. We'll see. Yeah, but the benefit I think that Wiseman has is he's joining a really good team. You know, you look at Anthony Edwards joining the Timberwolves, and they've got a lot of talent up there, but they've yet to put it together. you got the Charlotte Hornets who are – you know, okay, you got the Chicago Bulls who have been bad for the last several years. And so these these talented athletes are going into a situation where I don't feel like they're joining really stable franchises. Where Wiseman, I, I think, again, he goes in and I don't think they need him to be stellar right away. I think they can ease him in. Uh, kind of like when you draft a quarterback, right? Like an Aaron Rodgers for the Packers. When, when he got drafted, they didn't really need him. They just basically said, hold a clipboard behind Brett Favre. And I feel like Wiseman can maybe do that a little bit more with the Warriors. Granted, they need him, right? And they're going to call on him. But I feel like I think he can ease into performing at a high level much easier than a lot of these other players. Well, I think the Warriors are very fortunate in this draft due to the fact, regardless of who they took, they could have taken a no-name out of Israel 
Um, and it wouldn't have been as bad as the Bulls drafting Patrick Williams at number four. So hey. at least they have that that scapegoat of, hey, at least we didn't draft that poorly. So let, let's go to the Bulls quickly, and then we'll jump back up to the Hornets. But the Bulls, can you guys believe they take a, a, a small forward, Patrick Williams, who never started in college. So he is a sixth man at Florida State. So I guess you gotta you got to hand it to the Bulls. They've got their sixth man in place. Now they got to work on their starting five. Do you like the pick? Obviously, not so much I'm hearing from you, Tyler. Yeah, absolutely do not like this pick. I mean, if that was the guy you wanted, you should have tried everything to trade down because you could have gotten this man late in the second, uh, maybe even, you know, or yeah, late in the first, early in the second. I mean, I don't understand taking him fourth. That just boggles my mind. I have no idea what their plans are with him. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm at a loss for words. Yeah, well, I'm sitting here, I'm listed in my own mind. Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Florida State, not on that list. I mean, if you're a six man in one of those blue chip programs, uh, maybe, maybe, okay, like maybe we can take a look at that. The Raiders um, in the NFL have, have, you know, in the past years picked players that weren't necessarily the starters or marquee players, and they've, they're they panning out pretty well, but those were from blue blood programs where those those players were likely to step up and, and maybe even in, increase their draft stock. Florida State? I that's wild. So I didn't even know that background. That's how up to date I am. So I'm going to go ahead and say that sounds like a terrible pick. And I obviously the reaction among, you know, the hoop heads out there has been that the Bulls seem to have no clue what they're trying to do. So, Chris, what I was going to say is exactly what you referenced. You said the Raiders. And I was going to say, this feels like a Mike Mayock, John Gruden pick where it's like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't show up in any mocks, but we know better than all. And we're going to reach for this guy and he's going to be a star and we're going to look smart. That's kind of what it feels like to me here. It is. And look, sometimes those pay off, right? I mean, I, I would of the of the Raiders most egregious reaches, those have not paid off. So I will say that they they, they drafted Cleland Furl and, and under sort of similar circumstances um, a couple of years ago in the draft, and he has not panned out like they had hoped. He's not bad, but he's he's not worth a whatever it was. I mean, he was top ten pick. It was a high pick. Um, so yeah, it's risky proposition. Look, man, like, and I think this relates really well to the conversation we were having earlier about Wiseman. To me, if you can't, if you don't have enough on tape, man, it's tough to go pay a guy millions, isn't it? Like, I I think it's wild. It's quite the gamble to to kind of roll the dice on that and I just I don't know why scouting departments and teams tend to outsmart themselves to me I would be all about what you've got on film and what you can actually see in games and if a guy couldn't make the starting lineup at an ACC school that's I, to my knowledge no basketball juggernaut by any stretch that is astounding to me yeah absolutely so we got to jump quickly up to number 3 the Charlotte Hornets this is a great pick, um, but there's so much to talk about here. I feel like we could have a whole episode on LaMelo Ball. Um, first off, it's interesting to know you're talking about stats and things on paper. Let's throw the basketball aside. This guy has 6 million followers on social media. Yeah, so right there, they're getting a great, great asset. But who do you like, LeVar Ball versus Michael Jordan? Is this going to come into play this season? Or are we going to have some interesting uh, exchanges between uh, Ball's father and Michael Jordan, the owner of the Charlotte Hornets? What do you say? 
Well, I will say this. I love the fact LaMelo Ball is in Charlotte due to the sole purpose of, like you said, 6 million followers. He has the Facebook TV show Ball in the Family, which I will admit I have watched every episode of all six seasons. <laughs> I do enjoy watching that show. I will just be honest with you. But this helps the Charlotte Hornets just with the marketing standpoint. You know, they're a small market now with one of the biggest names in this draft coming into it. So that aspect alone, I'm very happy for him with this pick. And I really do hope we at least get an interaction between Michael Jordan and LeVar Ball, whether that just be a meet and greet, like, hey, nice to meet you. You know, good luck this season. Thanks for drafting my son type of thing. But, you know, maybe just like a game of horse between the two of them would be fantastic. Yeah. When did LeVar, LeVar himself played, right? He was a player. Yeah. Um, He played in college, but he actually played for the Carolina Panthers, I learned last night. Really? So football? Yeah, yeah, he's an athlete. I was going to say, did he play MJ at some point? Not that it matters much, but knowing his big mouth and, and how much Jordan loves to swat down haters, I don't know. It could just, it could be interesting. Chris, I'm sure there's something of Lavar somewhere out in the internet ether of him slamming Jordan. There must be. It just knowing his his general general mental makeup, it feels like a move he would make. Hang on, Chris. We've got our intern doing a little side project here. We are checking. Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech to see if LeVar Ball was in. It was a long list of uh, of grievances Jordan had. It was a long speech. There were a lot of names that made it on there. Brian Russell made it on there. I mean, everyone you could really imagine who ever said any word against him, um, you know, made the I, list. So I tell you, I've I've said this forever and I'm certainly not the only one to have this opinion, but Michael Jordan is worth a pretty penny. If he I just struggle with the idea that he didn't hire a PR agency or a writer to write his speech for the Hall of Fame. It could have been epic. It could have been one of those that gets replayed and replayed and replayed and yep. instead it was a absolute train wreck. Absolutely agree. It so, was bad. Back to the NBA draft. We're not going to go through the rest of these uh, pick by pick. We got to stop with the New York Knicks for just a second because I have to say this. I have been very critical of the Knicks franchise, like on many, many episodes, talking about how they've been awful for 20 years. And I got to say, they actually did something right last night. And I'm wondering what is going on at Madison Square Garden, where they pick Obi Toppin from Dayton, the player of the year from last year. I think this is a slam dunk A-plus pick. What do you guys say? I think it's going to be a great pick for him overall. I hope Thibodeau can do great things. But honestly, we also got to take into consideration Johnny Bryant is over there. And if anybody can make Obi even better and excel in the NBA, it's Johnny Bryant. So this guy actually has a high ceiling, and I'm excited to see what he does. Look, man, I'm not giving the Knicks any credit until they do something. So, <laughs> they like because it's easy enough to turn your franchise around just by listening to pundits and making the picks that they think you should make, and that doesn't always pan out either. So let's see them. Um, let's see them win some games, turn the thing around. They, they're it does look on its surface. I think Thibodeau's a good coach. I think I think they're making some interesting moves, uh, but we'll see it when we see it. Chris Tibbs is way too ornery to call him a good coach. I think he's one of my least favorites, without question. Honoriness, look, Jeff. Outside of Pete Carroll, who's you know maybe the only real jubilant outward optimist, honoriness is essential to being a great coach, and you know it. Listen, the only person I think I would say, I, well, let me put two people on the list. There's two people that I think are more ornery than Tom Thibodeau, and that would be Luke Isom. But um, bum. What's up, Luke? <laughs> And Derek Saunders. Derek, are you listening? 
But Derek, Derek delivers his his surliness with a smile. You know, <laughs> so does Luke sometimes. Luke, you know we love you. Derek, you too. We just know that you'll never listen to this, but Luke will listen to this for sure. So, Luke, I'm just kidding you. If I were a Lions fan, I'd probably be that honoree as well. But all right, um, let's keep going. Anybody else that stands out to you? We got to get to the Utah Jazz, but before we get there, anybody else you want to talk about? Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of the Phoenix Suns number 10 pick with uh, Jalen Smith. This guy looks like DK Metcalf in a basketball jersey, and I'm all for it. The dude is a sophomore, 6'10", 225 pounds. And when you compare that to who they already have, DeAndre Ayton, who is 6'11", 250 pounds, these two could just be vicious underneath the hoop at power forward and center. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And honestly... The, the Suns are so bad at drafting. They're probably almost, I say almost as bad as the Sacramento Kings. And I think uh, this time they actually did a good pick taking Jalen Smith, and he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. So, Tyler, who else did they just pick up? I mean, I think they drafted well. And again, to go with their former number one pick that you referenced, but Chris Paul? Yeah, and that's why I also am excited to watch um uh, Jalen Smith as well because Chris Paul can make anybody really good around him. Jalen Smith is also going to hold uh, DeAndre Ayton accountable so that he's not going to lose minutes or anything. But yeah, that's a wonderful thing, especially because OKC insists on you selling your soul to them in order to get anything off their roster. The fact that they were actually able to keep this number 10 pig with that Chris Paul trade is also phenomenal. So well done by the uh, the Phoenix Suns front office on this part. I'll add my vote in favor of bringing in a player like CP3 to a, a relatively young team and, and helping instill um, a culture and, you know, to establish an example for professionalism. I think that's super smart. Um, and, you know, CP3 just came off of a, a year where he did that to, to the greatest extent he's ever done, I think, in his career to this point that we can recognize. So brilliant move, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think Phoenix has reasons to be excited uh, about the future. So, I mean, kind of to your point, they've they've struggled with their drafts. But they've got some talent if they can put it together, and I think Chris Paul is the guy that can kind of help make that happen. So uh, good things down there in the Valley of the Sun. All right, next up, we're going to cover your Utah Jazz. They had the number 23 pick. They traded back, and then they traded out of their later pick. We'll get into all of that. But but I think this is going to make for some fascinating podcasting right here. It's just me trying to pronounce the name here. So hang on, Tyler. Let me see if I can get this. Adoku Azabuki. How'd I do? Uh, pretty dang close. It's Uduka. 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 Azabuke. Now, I want to know, is he going to be bigger and better than the last big man the Jazz selected out of the University of Kansas? Tyler, who am I referring to? I have no idea. Who did we take out of Kansas? I know we had um, that white guy that we like, traded for a while back, Jeff Withy. Who was from Kansas, but we didn't draft him. Yeah, before you were born, Greg Ostertag. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. You know what? If he's the next Ostertag, I'm all for it. I don't think he's even that good, in all honesty. Um, I, I just don't know enough about him. My biggest thing is we obviously traded away Tony Bradley as well. Um, does this, you know, this so this guy's going to be playing good, you know, bench minutes behind uh, Rudy Gobert. And does he, you know, make us better than Tony Bradley did? I think we stay exactly where we're at. I don't think this was a, a, a step upwards. It, it could possibly for a while, because like I said, the transition for these rookies is going to be hell. And I think it's going to be a hot minute to where we're even going to have to be desperate and put Ed Davis in for minutes just because Udoka is not, you know, doing what we need him to do. So I don't 
feel com- confident with this uh, draft pick because it also makes me wonder if the Jazz aren't too, you know, uh, fond about, you know, going after somebody like Derek Favors or Aaron Baines uh, to come off the bench as, um, as our center. But then again, we didn't draft a point guard in the first round. So then maybe are they feeling confident that we're going to get Jordan Clarkson back and we're going to bring in another point guard to help the bench out? I, I don't know. Uh, I would love to know what's going on in the Jazz's mind right now, but I have no idea in all honesty. Yeah, I, the only thing I can think, Tyler, is that this is this shows how desperately they think they need to address the backup center position because the only case I can make in my own mind is that they are. this is insurance on top of probably an effort to get someone like Faves. I, I, you know, Tony Jones and others have indicated that, you know, them drafting as a bouquet, <laughs> um, that basically that that wasn't a sign that they weren't going to pursue someone else. So if that's the case, I can only assume it's it's that they they know they have a really big problem there, that it is the biggest of their problems, at least as far as that they've identified. We can probably all debate that because I thought that that a wing defender was maybe even more pressing for them. Um, so. All I can think is that they must really think that they've got a burning hole in their roster at that backup center position, and they are in no way, shape, or form going to leave themselves high and dry. So I'm guessing they got this guy. Maybe they're even looking at him somewhat as uh, an insurance policy. Maybe they also just didn't think that any of the other options available at that point were likely to uh, fill in in the ways that they needed. So maybe they just figured, hey, let's take out an insurance policy. Let's still try to get Faves or someone else develop that guy along with those other bigs. And then, because, I mean, even if you bring in Faves, right, Faves is getting up there in age. Um, you know, a lot of some of the other options they're looking at are, are kind of similar that way. Maybe they're kind of thinking, we know this is going to be an ongoing struggle for us as long as Rudy's here. So I, that's the only thing I can think. Um, I For me, let's just wait and see. I didn't have big expectations heading into the draft. So I I didn't have some big disappointment. I've just been reading kind of the controversy. And it's, it sounds like there are voices on both sides as far as this draft pick. So we'll see. And I, yeah. I think I'm also um, a little bit salty with our pick because all the people that I was high on going into this draft went to Western teams. Like uh, Josh Green went 18 to the Mavericks, which is a team we're going to have to compete with. Um, RJ Hampton, who I was a fan, I was a fan of is going to the Nuggets, who we're obviously com- going to have to compete with. But then in the second round, uh, Theo Maladon, I was really high on. I was even you know, thinking we would take him in the first round. He got traded to the Thunder, which obviously we're going to have to compete with. So the three guys I was really high on being against teams that you know are going to be playoff uh, possibility uh, positions against us, that's where I'm really bummed out about. Yeah, I actually, uh, again, it, it's a weird season because I feel like I would know a little bit more about these players, but with no March Madness and with not a lot of film on on really any of these guys. I get that there's some, but there, it just the season feels a little bit weird to me. But I, I do like the pick in the sense that I, I do think the Jazz need to be more physical when Rudy is not in, or even if Rudy is in. Can you play these guys in at the same time? We'll have to find out. But again, them trading back, there's probably, like we're saying, there weren't a lot of people available, uh, excluding the one that's Tyler that you've mentioned here. But, you know, probably a little bit more of a crapshoot towards the end of the first round. There's probably some players that will stick. There's probably a few that we'll, that we'll never really hear from. Let's uh, shift over just as we wind down here this episode. Let's, um, let's head into the second round. The Jazz traded Tony Bradley and their... Uh, what their 38th pick that they picked up from the Knicks, they traded that to Detroit. Yep, for some cash yeah. cash considerations, and then the Jazz get back in at 39 
And uh, remind me what they gave up a future second rounder to get uh, 39 from the New Orleans Pelicans. Something like that, yeah. So, Tyler, who'd they pick up at 39? They got Elijah Hughes, a junior shooting guard out of Syracuse. And what do we know about him? Uh, The man um, shot 19 points a game, 4.9 rebounds, and 3.4 assists uh, within 36 minutes of playtime. Uh, was all ACC first team uh, honors, so wasn't on it. And um, yeah, I was on it for every year that he was there. He was uh, on the ballot. So good pickup. Um, that's actually really good assist, 3.4, when you think about it as a shooting guard. I mean, you're not supposed to be facilitating. You're supposed to shoot. So I really like that. I don't know what his uh, three-point uh, percentage was, but that was probably some, a factor as to why we took him. Um, second round, it's a non-guaranteed contract. I think you have nothing to lose. I probably expect them to sign him to like a two-way contract and have him bounce back and forth from the um, from the G League. Is, is it possible just taking kind of uh, stock of this whole draft for us? And, and we'll see what happens in the offseason, right? But it, it feels like we're edging toward pretty much stand pat or try to kind of minimize damage, meaning, you know, you try to keep Clarkson around, you try not to lose him, you try to bring in a couple pieces to improve. What's the analysis or what's are there theories out there that the Jazz feel like next offseason might be better are they are they kind of keeping their powder dry do you what are your thoughts on that Tyler do you have any insight on that well I think they've been trying to keep the powder dry since 89 in all honesty <laughs> I think they, they play it way too safe Fair but enough. no I I do think that they I've, I've been saying this for a while that they are preparing at some point whether it be this offseason which is a very short offseason or next offseason but they are fully getting ready to go into that luxury tax and pay buco buckos to whomever they need to. So, um, yeah, I think they are definitely trying to keep their powder dry. And I think they are playing, um, you know, the long-term game of chess here. And I just get frustrated because I don't know what the game plan is and I need to know. Yeah. You know, reading some analysis as well in terms of the luxury tax. I mean, obviously I think, you know, the general consensus is that it makes the most sense to do it when, when you're you're visibly close, you're really knocking on the door, right? And I think we saw some positive signs in the bubble, but the bubble was such a weird environment. It's it's nobody quite knows how much of that's going to translate, um, you know, under normal circumstances. You know, and that's both ways, right? Maybe we have an easier time with Denver if we've got a true home court advantage, which we know ours is one of the best out there. So it's just it's so hard to make conclusions, and so I could kind of see. Um, the the Jazz front office kind of saying, look, we've got to run it back because we just don't necessarily know that we can make too many conclusions off of a really weird situation. You had Conley out for part of the playoffs and then coming back. And, and, and again, there were some positive signs. And, you know, we went the, went the distance with a Denver team and really, by all rights, should have beaten a Denver team that that gave the Lakers, uh, you know, more trouble than I, I think that I certainly initially expected. Um, so, does is that enough for them to say, yeah, we're close to to luxury tax range? My guess would be that they're saying, I they still don't know quite enough. Let's run it back. Let's let's run it through one more season. Maybe toward the end of this next season, things will normalize a bit. We can get people back in the stands, and and we'll have a real shot at understanding where things are at. The question I have is. What does that what does that do for Rudy's contract? Because they don't have to sign him to an extension, right? Other other teams could make it offers, right? Where where's he at on that? Tyler, remind us because uh, my understanding is we don't have to sort of make a major decision on him. But if we don't, it's all but saying 
so long, right? If you don't if you don't extend him this offseason, he's going to be gone after after this season probably, right? All right, you're exactly right, Chris. So he's eligible for a contract extension, um, I think starting on Monday. So if uh, he doesn't accept an extension, then yes, he's um, choosing to go into unrestricted free agency. But uh, what I'm hearing around the league is that there's not a huge, huge you know, market of paying him $150 million. And I think he, uh, there's going to be really good communication between him and the Jazz front office. And I think they're going to offer him around that 150 i'm hoping for 120 um me personally i don't want to go over like 130 140 and we'll also be giving donovan around that exact same time uh the same kind of offer of whatever he's eligible for which i believe is 175 maybe 150 i'm not 100 percent sure and um yeah i think if we do if we don't get that contract extension i think there's still a chance he'll come back it's doubtful but i think there's a chance that you know, nobody's going to be offering him anything more than what we were realistically offering him. And he does have loyalty. So he'll just come back. Yeah. It's, it's such a man, what a gamble, right? Because, you know, if we look back at sort of the Gordon Hayward scenario, my understanding is is that it, it was part of his ultimate decision to leave. And we can all talk about how he chose to do it. The fact that it, it felt like the worst possible way, it was the first worst possible way, at least for us as a franchise, but that a lot of that had its roots in the Jazz's failure to extend him at their first opportunity, right? They they kind of gave it extra time. Uh, he he got miffed over that. I mean, Gordon Hayward from outside appearances would, was not the guy I ever thought was going to be the egotistical, um, thin-skinned guy that was going to hold something like that against our franchise. I would have to think Rudy Gobert, who's much more emotionally demonstrative and who... You know, if I would even say you could say it's it's sort of part of the knock on him a bit that it feels like some of his personal accolades matter to him more at times. Like, I don't know that that's totally fair, but his defensive player of the year awards and things like that clearly seem to signify something to him that I don't know that I don't know that every, every player would respond to in the same way. I just feel like, you know what you've got with Rudy and, and you cannot assume it's all going to turn out well if you don't sort of make this offer now. Now, I could be wrong, and maybe he is, you know, able to kind of go into full business mode um, on things, but uh, it's it's a tricky one. So to me, if you don't extend him, you got to be ready to move on from him. And if you're not going to extend him, and, and this is where we need Luke in here. Luke, shout out. you got to come join us, and maybe we gotta have a whole, we'll got have more to discuss in the, in the coming days, and especially after next Monday. But then you really got to consider just moving him now, don't you? Like, if you're not going to mm-hmm. extend him, Get some value for him right now. Um, the question is just, can you? Is there enough out there? Um, and, and that's what I'm not as sure about. I, I absolutely agree. Well, it'll be interesting what happens. I think the Jazz are going to keep Rudy. I think they're going to give him some money. I'm excited for Ryan Smith to open up the checkbook and just to write some write some checks to bring in some talent. Um, but as we've documented on this podcast in the past, one of the key pieces of the jazz strategy is to draft and to draft well. And so it'll be interesting to see how this draft pans out. I'm excited about the draft they had two or three years ago. And what do I mean by that? I think this is going to be a breakout year upcoming for Donovan Mitchell. It'll be interesting to see how that plays. Uh, All right, we got to shut it down. Any parting words before we leave today? Chris, let's start with you. Jeff, we got to do quick closing picks for tonight's game uh, so it goes on the record. I know you're nervous about it. I actually think I've got your cards um, winning this one. I know that they kind of snuck in. We're able to win the last one miraculously. Seahawks have been on a bit of a slide, and I've got some real questions about them. Uh, cards, by contrast, are riding high after an all-time great Hail Mary moment 
Um, you know, that that kind of thing can really galvanize a team. And I don't know, man. I think your cards could take it tonight. I'm picking them. Yeah, go cards. All right, Tyler, what do you say? You know what? I, I hate Thursday night footballs, uh, mainly from a fantasy football standpoint, because I have Metcalf playing tonight and I've got Kyler Murray playing tonight in one of my fantasy leagues. So I, I'm, you know, there's 50% of my points right there. Um, I am going to go with the Seahawks to win this one. Uh, they're playing in desperate mode right now. Uh, winner of this game uh, has first place in this division. Uh, Russell Westbrook really needs that redemption game to rebound from. Um, and Metcalf, who really kind of screwed me last week on points, he needs that comeback game and stuff. So this is a, this is a bigger must-win game for the Seahawks. But I think it is time to start the campaign for Kyler Murray for MVP. I will give you that, Chris or uh, Jeffrey. Uh, what? What? Who? Who? Who said that last time? There, hey, Tyler. I, I know. I, I said before. I don't even think you guys are going to make the playoffs. I, you know, at best, Kyler Murray is going to win a six man or not six man uh, comeback player of the year. But I take all that back and I say, let's start the campaign for MVP. Guys on the sidelines, starting the campaign. Kyler, Kyler, Kyler. Gotta love it. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Again, I'm a homer. I'm a Cardinals fan. Well documented on this podcast. I like Seattle in this one just for some of the reasons that have already been cited. I think their back's against the wall. But let me tell you why I think Arizona is dangerous. Cliff Kingsbury doing a great job down there in the desert. You got Kyler. You got DeAndre. You got Larry Fitzgerald, who's like 80 years old, and he's still out there playing. You've got a good group of guys, and it's a team, honestly, that I would be scared to face because, yeah, I still think they're young. I still think they're a a year or two away. But if you're talking talent and you're talking excitement and you're just talking pure athletes, like there's not a better team than the Arizona Cardinals. And so as a fan, even though Seattle probably, if 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 you're betting with your head, you probably would take the Seahawks. But don't count out the Redbirds. The Cardinals are awesome. They're fun to watch. And for that reason, you got to tip your cap to the Bidwells, to Steve Keim, bringing in Cliff Kingsbury, passing on Josh Rosen, right? I mean, they basically took quarterbacks with back-to-back first-round picks. They moved on quickly from Josh Rosen. And I'm just glad that they did pick Kyler Murray. I know he's five foot nothing. Um, and But they brought in DeAndre Hopkins, which is a huge piece of the growth of Kyler Murray because having a target I mean you look at the you look at the receiving core that the Cardinals have and you compare it to like the receiving core of I don't know who who's got no receiving core Baltimore Ravens New England yep. Patriots right I mean yep. there's a lot of teams that don't have anybody and so just having the weapons that Kyler Murray has elevates his game uh it'll be fun to watch so yeah Okay, well, fun divisional rivalry emerging here. And can we all just finish by reveling in the fact that the three of us root for teams that are in solid, aesthetically pleasing divisions, right? AFC West is an old-time division. A lot of Super Bowl winners have come out of it. They're geographically, like, pretty close. It makes sense, right? Um, NFC – is it the NFC West that, that the cards are in, Jeff? Yep. Or is it the NFC um, – yep. You know, and then obviously the Packers, then the NFC North, right? Um, That's one of the most just traditional classic divisions. Let's all just take a moment to just dump on, is it the AFC South? That's like Jacksonville, Indianapolis, the Texans. I mean, ugly, terrible division that should go away. I just wanted to get that out there. It's an awful division. Well, in the NFC East as well. Somebody's got to win it, but they're going to win it with a bad, bad record. So, Chris, I'm right there with you. So, for... The Packers and the Raiders 
and the Cardinals. This is Jeff, Chris, and Tyler saying adios and bye-bye. All right, gents. Just 10 over. Just 10 over, Jeff. It's progress. I need to go get some icy hot on my back from having to carry that podcast episode. Oh, snake. <laughs>